0: Please open your Bibles with me to the book of Titus, uh, the book of Titus in chapter 1. Uh, this morning I come to you with uh, an unusual sermon, uh, a sermon out of our series. We, we will return to Romans chapter 8 tonight. Uh, but this morning I have two purposes that I want to accomplish here they are. Uh, First I want to offer a rationale concerning why it is that we at Mount Hermon put such a high priority on the theological education of pastors. We are a small church and we have limited funds and yet every year in our budget we send A little check to Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, We send a little check to Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest. Uh, Frankly, I wish we could send a whole lot more. Um, If God would give me the full desire of my heart, I'd love to see a day where we could even have a Mount Hermon scholarship fund where where every year this church was helping to send young men to be trained for gospel ministry, be it in the service of local churches here in the States or sending them out to the mission field. Um, Think about this when you're setting up your wills and deciding how to distribute your earthly funds once you have died. Um, I would long to see an endowment of some kind that we could continually year after year have an effect in this world much bigger than the little size of our church. You know, little churches can have a big impact when they're creative and when they have a heart to do big things. But right now we, we send two small checks each year, one to, one to Southern Seminary, one to Southeastern. Why do we do that? Uh, Southeastern is very close to us and so over the years we've had students come into our church and we've tried to help them by giving students at Southeastern opportunities to preach. Um, a preacher doesn't typically preach well his first sermon or even his first five or even his first ten sermons. It, it takes time and it takes opportunities before a preacher is ready to fill a pulpit on a weekly basis. and So one of the ways that we've sought to serve over the years is by occasionally allowing these students at Southeastern to come and on a Sunday night to, to practice on us. Um, there has to be a balance there. Sunday nights are mainly a time for your pastors to, to care for your souls, but, but I do hope that we'll continue over the years to provide those opportunities and to serve the kingdom of Christ in that way. But why? Why should we care about this? Uh, Tomorrow, as you know, Lord willing, I am boarding a plane in Raleigh uh, to begin this eight-day trip to eastern Romania, the purpose of which is to train indigenous Romanian pastors uh, 30 to 40 men, mostly serving churches in very rural villages. Um, Ten sessions over three days, and then I'll preach twice on Sunday. Mount Hermon, you paid for this. You you are the ones that, that made this trip happen. These men will receive this training because of the grace of God in your lives, moving you to sacrifice on their behalf perhaps the money you gave to the mission fund could have given you another night out at the olive garden or something bigger something and and you sacrificed to make this time of training happen why why do we devote time and effort and money and prayers to this kind of endeavor so the first purpose of this message is to offer a rationale as to why we put a priority on the theological education of pastors. And then my second purpose in this sermon is to go further than that and to call us to an even greater interest and commitment and investment in such things. I am well aware that this probably is not what is on the forefront of your mind when you wake up each each morning. I I know that all of us have our own callings, and we have our own responsibilities. And when we wake up in the morning, the issues on our minds are the things that God has set before us in order to glorify Him in the ways that He has called each of us to do so. But I don't want us to neglect this. Indeed, as individuals, and especially as a local church, this ought to have a special place in our hearts. Because the training of pastors is incredibly important to the global mission of God. The training of pastors is incredibly important to the mission that Christ has given his church. And so I want to call us to an even higher level of interest and commitment and investment. And I don't mean just monetary investment. Talking about prayer investment. I wonder how often you pray for the world-changing work that is happening in the seminary classrooms 50 minutes from where we sit this morning. Dear friends, if there is anything that the history of Baptists in North Carolina makes clear, it is that what happens in the classrooms in Wake Forest soon begins to affect what is happening in the pulpits of Nash County and the pulpits all across our state and around this world. So we need to care about this. I personally think we ought to be thrilled for the conservative resurgence that has happened on some of these seminary campuses, a return to the Bible that has happened at Southern and Southeastern. I think it's a wonderful thing That we can be encouraged about sending young men who are interested in the ministry to faithful, Bible-believing, gospel-centered seminaries. I think that ought to be important to us. So now that you know what I'm aiming for in this sermon, let's look at our text. I want to begin Titus 1 and reading in verse 5. Titus 1 and verse 5 but verse 9 is our, going to be our particular focus. So as I read, take special note of verse 9. This is the word of God. Paul saying to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So I ask you, what do you think a church should look for first in a pastor? What should a congregation value most in candidates? To lead and to shepherd them. I would suggest to you that not only are most churches today looking for the wrong things in their pastoral candidates. But that this has been the trend for the last several decades. In 1986, I was five years old. That year, a survey was done asking evangelical churches like ours what they expected out of their pastors and these results were put together to show what churches saw as the greatest priorities for their pastors and here were the top answers number one considered most important by churches in a pastor strategic planning pastors must be able to plan well number two Facility in leading the worship experience. Number three, sensitivity to the needs of the congregation. Number four, the spiritual development of the congregation. Number five, pastoral counseling. Number six, visiting the sick. Number seven, strengthening the church's finances. And David Wells. Well-known Christian thinker looked at those results, and here's what he says. He says, The minister's authority and professional status rides not on his character, nor his ability to expound the Word of God, nor his theological skill in relating that Word to a contemporary world, but rather on interpersonal skills, administrative talents, and the ability to organize the congregation. The older role of pastor as broker of truth has been eclipsed by the new managerial functions that are so characteristic of the modern world. In other words, what churches today are looking for in pastors is no longer so concerned with his character and his ability to teach the word and is more concerned with his ability to administrate and to relate to people well. The first pastors were the apostles in Jerusalem, and they gave themselves to two priorities, prayer and the word. They believed that they best served their congregations by giving themselves without compromise to these two endeavors, prayer for the people they served, and the study and proclamation of God's word. Neither of those two things made the list of what churches were looking for in pastors in 1986, and I would suggest that it wouldn't make the list today either. Many of you know uh, Dan Roth at Servant's Heart Fellowship, and he and I were uh, writing together recently, and we joked about the possibility that what many churches are actually looking for today in a pastor is good looks. I'm not sure how you got to be so lucky. Just God's smiling upon you. None would actually say this. None would actually say this. But many churches seem to want a pastor that looks a certain way. The reason we were talking about this is because we had noticed that many First Baptist pastors all have the same slick hairdo. There are certain men who just look. Like a First Baptist Church pastor. And we couldn't help but wonder if, when the pulpit committee was meeting with the candidates, how much that look played into their decision. Uh, Today, there is even a popular website called pastorfashion.com. Ed Young, popular pastor from Texas, started this website. It is a well intentioned guide for pastors to help them look stylish and attractive. As they lead their congregations. What we notice in our verse, however, is the utter importance of a pastor being a man well skilled in the use of the Word of God. He may not dress stylishly, he may not have the First Baptist hairdo, but here is what matters can he rightly divide the Word of God? In 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, Paul told Timothy, who was then pastoring at the church in Ephesus, he said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 16, Paul says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. In 1 Timothy 3, we find the qualifications for pastors and for deacons. Both pastors and deacons are to be men of godly character. But here is the one qualification that distinguishes the pastors from the deacons. They must be able to teach the Word of God. In other words, when we look to the New Testament... To see what ought to be a pastor's primary and first responsibility, it is this. He must be a man who preaches and teaches the word of God. And he must do so skillfully and accurately. As our verse says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. But why is this the case? Why is the right handling of the word of God so integral to being a faithful pastor? Two answers. Number one, the purpose of the church demands it. The purpose of the church demands it. Pastors are servants of God's church. Men are called and gifted by Jesus Christ to serve his churches. And the purpose of his churches is to be a light in this dark world. And how are churches to be a light in this dark world? By being storehouses and bastions of truth. The local church has been given the stewardship of protecting and preserving and propagating the truth of God in every generation. And it is pastors who are to lead the way in this. 1 Timothy 3:15 says that the local church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. So picture a pillar. What does a pillar do? A pillar holds things up. The local church is to be a place where God's truth every week, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, God's truth is being lifted up, upheld for any and all who will see it. Picture a buttress. A buttress was a large stone that could be set next to something in order to hold it up. To buttress something is to keep it from falling over. The local church has been given the mission of making sure that God's truth is standing tall even in our secular, confused, narcissistic age. And therefore, pastors must be well-trained in the Scriptures. Jesus has one plan to build his kingdom and to save sinners in this world. It is not through social programs. It is not through parachurch ministries as helpful as they can be. It is not through political governments or denominations or even large conferences. Christ's plan to save sinners is through the faithful preaching of the word of God by men of God who go to the uttermost parts of the earth, winning the lost and establishing churches as the outposts of heaven on earth. There is no plan B. Local churches reproducing and sending out men to establish more local churches where the word of God will be preached. This is plan A. It is the only plan and it will succeed. Christ will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Against it. Years ago, at his first inaugural address as president of Southern Seminary, Dr. Albert Moeller preached a message called, Don't Just Do Something, Stand There. That's exactly the message that modern churches need to hear. So many churches are busy doing this and doing that. They have so many programs and so many committees, so many productions and youth camps, and the the church is just a, a constant buzz of activity. And yet in the midst of so much moving around, often the church is seldom taking a stand. The PCUSA, the Episcopal Church of America, the United Methodists. These denominations and their churches promote hundreds upon hundreds of programs. And yet when it is time for them to be the church, the pillar and the buttress of truth, to take a stand on the word of God, where do we see them? Is homosexuality a sin? They will not take the stand. Would God have it be different as far as roles for men and women? They don't dare stick with the Bible on that one. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Well, let's not be so narrow-minded. Is there really a place called hell? They don't want to speak definitively on a question like that. What the world needs most is the truth of God. And what most churches offer are programs and activities But the thing we were called to be, the pillar and the buttress of truth, is the one thing that so often we are failing to be. Boy, are we busy. So many busy churches are closing their doors year after year. And the number of the unchurched and the unbelieving in our nation is growing rapidly. Of course, a lot of these so-called churches aren't even truly a part of Christ's church. Because the true church is a pillar and buttress of truth. Uh, First Timothy doesn't say that the church should be a pillar and buttress of truth. No, it says she is a pillar and buttress of truth. Mount Hermon, listen carefully to this. Where you find a true testimony to the things of God being preached and heralded, where you hear a stand being taken on principles of God's word, Where God's word is proclaimed as a truth worth reckoning with, there you have a church. And if that is absent, it does not matter what the building looks like or what the people call themselves. If you do not have the preaching of the word of God, you do not have a church. And I'll let Merle speak more on that on Wednesday night. But a second reason why the handling of God's word is so integral to the pastoral ministry is that faithful shepherding demands it. Faithful shepherding demands it. Paul told Timothy to keep a close watch on his life and doctrine because through this he would bring himself and his congregation finally and safely to Jesus on the last day. You see, if pastors are to serve as shepherds, then the Word of God is their rod and their staff. Pastors have no other instrument whereby to do your souls good. At the end of the day, it is only the Word of God that can change hearts. It is only the Word of God that strengthens faith. It is only the Word of God that brings peace and brings comfort to hurting souls. Other solutions are temporary. All other programs and techniques are men's futile attempts to address spiritual issues with worldly cures. They will never work. It is only the word accompanied by the Spirit of God that God will truly use to bless and to grow his church. A faithful pastor knows that he truly loves and serves his congregation through these two means alone, prayer And the right use of the word of God. A good pastor is a physician of the soul. And the word of God is his scalpel. Hebrews 4.12 The word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. Of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so sometimes as the pastor wields the word of God, we feel our hearts being pierced. Sometimes the word of God hurts as our sins are exposed. At other times we rejoice because through the use of this sacred scalpel we can feel cancerous evils within us being removed. Sometimes the pastor's use of the word of God hurts. Sometimes it is pleasant to us, but the intention is always to heal through the word of God. Imagine that you are preparing to undergo a surgery. A cancer has been found in you, and a surgeon has been called upon to remove that that cancer. And so you go to meet with your surgeon What are you most concerned with? What matters to you most about this surgeon? Are you mainly concerned with his hairdo? Are you mainly concerned with how good he is at strengthening the finances of the hospital? Frankly, are you even mainly concerned with how sensitive he is or whether or not he has a good bedside manner? No, at the end of the day, you have one main concern. How good is he with a knife? My life is going to be entrusted into this man's hands or woman. Here is what matters. Is my surgeon skilled? Does he know what is doing? Suppose you ask your surgeon about his training. And what if he said to you, well, when I was 16, I felt this compulsion, this desire Some might even call it a calling to become a surgeon. And I decided I didn't need to be trained. I just started right then, working. I went from hospital to hospital and started cutting people open. I figured this is what I wanted to do, and I would just go ahead and start doing it. Friends, would that comfort you and a surgeon? Would you want a surgeon working on you who had received no training in his field? Or suppose he said to you, well, I never actually went to medical school, but I did go to veterinary school. I've performed many surgeries on dogs and cats and horses. Would that make you feel better about your surgeon? Could we not all agree that when your life is on the line, you want a surgeon who has been trained well You want to see those certifications and diplomas and degrees on his office wall. Why? Because they are evidence of years spent learning to do the job well. They are evidence of time spent under the supervision of other trained men. They are evidence that you have reason to trust this man. You have good reason to believe that he is going to do you good... We want a surgeon who knows what he is doing as he wields that scalpel upon our bodies. And you see where this is going. Friends, if we care that much about our bodies, which are going to be laying down in the dust soon anyway, how much more should we care about those to whom we entrust the care of our souls? If we wouldn't trust our bodies to an untrained novice, why would we trust our souls to one? Do you see how dangerous it is to just put anyone in the pulpit? In the churches I grew up in, we had Youth Sunday, and we'd have a 15-year-old stand in the pulpit and preach. And it didn't really matter what he said. We'd all say he did a good job after it was over. I look back on that now, and I think, oh, how careless we were. How, how lightly we took the pulpit and the ministry of the Word of God and the local church. Do you see how dangerous it is? How so threateningly dangerous it is to have pastors who are unlearned in the things of God. So very quickly, let me press this on us a bit more by noting three parts of our verse. First note in our verse that a pastor must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. In other words, the pastor is not to be holding on to his own ideas or opinions, nor is the pastor to stand in the pulpit and preach the ideas and opinions of others. The pastor is to hold firm to the word of God as it was taught by the apostles. And that apostolic teaching can only be found in one place, and that is in the pages of the New Testament. Nothing is more important than that a pastor be absolutely committed to expounding the Bible. Every generation of pastors is to hold fast to the word, and every generation of churches is to pray for Christ to raise up new men who will become the pastors of the next generation. Paul told Timothy, what you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is one of the great callings upon the church. This is one of the great callings upon Christian pastors. We are to be looking for faithful men to whom we can entrust the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. We are to spend special time with these young men. We are to help them to teach others well. This is especially what a seminary is. Most seminary professors are also pastors and teachers in their own churches, but they come together with these young men of the next generation during the week to pass on faithful principles of expounding the word of God. I continue to pray that God would raise up pastors from among us here at our church. Our little church could have a giant impact on this world if God would be pleased to make this church a launching pad from which, from which many pastors and missionaries would be sent forth. Second, note in our verse that the pastor must use the word of God to instruct. To instruct. His first mission is not to tell stories or to entertain His mission is not to mainly lead his congregation into an emotional experience. No, his first mission is to instruct. His first mission is to speak the word of God to the minds of all who will listen. Now, if a pastor handles the word of God rightly, there will be an emotional component. No preacher is being faithful if he preaches about the horrors of hell without a tear in his eye. And no preacher is being faithful if he can speak about the glories of heaven with a sad or an angry tone. True preaching includes the heart of the preacher being involved. Uh, One old definition of preaching says that preaching is truth through personality. This means pastors don't just preach the truth intellectually, They're to preach the truth from their hearts as well. Something of the pastor's own experience of the glory of God is to be communicated. It is to shine through as the pastor preaches. But the pastor's main responsibility, and we must never, ever forget this, is to instruct us in the Word of God. How can he instruct if he himself has not been instructed? Think of what is required to teach the Word of God well. The preacher must learn sound, trustworthy principles of biblical interpretation. If he interprets the Bible poorly, he will endanger the souls of the people that come to hear him preach. A preacher must learn sound hermeneutics. That is, the right, the safe, the biblical way to interpret the Bible. A faithful preacher needs to know his church history, especially the history of theology. Why? Because he needs to know what Christians have been saying about certain passages and about certain biblical truths for 2,000 years. Because it's dangerous if you're preaching something new. There is safety in orthodoxy. There is safety in the old paths. Innovation is great for technology. It is terrible for theology. You do not want your surgeon looking at you and saying, I know this technique hasn't been tested, and it hasn't been proven reliable, but I think we'll give it a try on you anyway. No, knowing church history and the history of theology helps the preacher to make sure that he is being faithful to the right understanding of passages and God's truth. Not only that, church history shows the pastor what errors tend to creep into the church, generation after every generation, and therefore what he must be on guard against as he shepherds God's people. The pastor needs to know historical theology. He needs to know systematic theology. For over 2,000 years, men of God have been looking for ways to make God's truth clearer to people. And for 2,000 years, Christian preachers and teachers have been sparring back and forth, sharpening one another, helping to show how the many truths of God go together, and build on one another, Friends, God's truth is rational, it is logical, it is reasonable. Learning systematic theology helps the preacher see this so that he can preach to you in a reasonable way. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say that the preacher should bring his systematic theology into every sermon that he preaches, showing how every passage fits into the overall system of God's truth. To sum all that up, church, a pastor cannot take his people where he himself has not yet gone. A pastor cannot explain to you what he himself does not understand. A pastor cannot bring his congregation into glorious truths that he himself has not grasped, come to live in, and rejoice in. And therefore, pastors need to be trained. The health of Christ's church, and therefore the health of gospel light in this world, depends. Upon it. Well, finally note from our verse. That the pastor must use the word of God. To rebuke those who would contradict it. You see if a pastor is not well skilled in the word of God. He might fail to confront error as he ought. It takes a great deal of discernment. And discernment is something that must come over time. As one practices applying the word of God to this situation and that situation. Pastoral training is so helpful here as men are asked to consider many different views and are helped to see why certain views are biblical and other views are unbiblical. Discernment is honed as pastors are trained. Right now, some very undiscerning Christians are celebrating this heaven is for real movie without even realizing how full of biblical error it is. They don't even seem to know that God forbids looking to the dead for answers or how foolish it is to look to a young impressionable boy to validate what God has said in his word. Do we really have such little faith in the scriptures that we need a deathbed experience from a little boy to help us believe it? Is thus says the Lord not enough for us? There are thousands of these issues. They come up week after week, every week. There are new discernment issues that God's people are wrestling with. The pastor must have discernment. He must know how to use the word of God to rebuke error for the sake of the souls of God's people. And of course, none of this matters apart from the gospel At the end of the day, the gospel is the message that the church is to proclaim. And the gospel is the message that pastors must be well trained in. And dear friends, there is no part of Christianity that is more under attack in every generation than the gospel itself People will doubt that Jesus was God, or they will doubt that Jesus was truly man. They will doubt the holiness of God. They will doubt the justice of God. They will complain about his wrath. They will say he doesn't even really exist. People will deny the virgin birth. They're going to deny the existence of Christ. People will come against the gospel at its very core, the cross. They will deny substitutionary atonement. They will deny that God's righteous wrath against his people was fully absorbed by Christ on the cross. They will find theories to try and explain away the resurrection. There will be attacks made on the doctrine of justification by faith. As different people will say that there are works that must be added to it. Friends, the gospel must be defended in every generation. This is one great purpose of the local church and pastors are to lead the way. This is a spiritual war that we are in and a good warrior is a trained warrior. You cannot protect the gospel if you don't even know what errors to be looking for. And so Mount Hermon, let us never lose sight of just how important it is that we do what we can to help pastors get the training they need. We need to hold our seminaries accountable to the Word of God and to Christian orthodoxy. And we need to pray for what is happening in those seminary classrooms. I ask you to pray for the training that will take place in Romania this week. But let us make sure that we are doing what we can to serve the lost around this world and the Christians of the next generation by supporting the training of pastors. Friends, if you are here and you are not a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope you will understand what I am saying. I am saying that God created local churches to be in this world, a place where lost sinners like you can come and hear the truth. This truth is so valuable that God commissioned us as a local church to protect it and to preserve it and to proclaim it so that you can hear it and believe it. What is the great message we have? That there is a God who is holy and that we are all sinners before him and deserving of hell. But that there is a way of salvation provided for us in Jesus Christ if we will turn from our sins and trust him. And so my prayer is that all of us would trust Jesus and follow hard after him. This is the way of salvation. This is the message that we must proclaim may we lay down our very lives for it if necessary to see that it is passed on to the next generation amen let's pray